Welcome everyone to Coaching in Session. My name is Michael Roden and I'll be your mindset coach today. And today we're going to be talking about all about wellness because wellness is more than just mindset. It's a way of life. It's your lifestyle and it can range from your relationships to your career. And many people are in a state of an unwell mind and an unwell life. How do we get into a better, stronger state of mindset that's focused on wellness? Well, I have good news for you. Today, we're going to be bringing on a guest, Kathy Robinson. She's a certified wellness coach, and she's going to be diving into the work she does, talking a little bit about her book, The Athena Principles, and how wellness is so important for us. I remember when I first started to work out. One of the ideas of me working out was so I could be big and buff and I can have muscles and I can look good and be the king of the town and get all the girls, right? That was my idea. But then it kind of morphed from when I was 15 to now I'm in my 30s. I'm looking more at wellness as the ability to keep up with my kid, the ability to be effective in my coaching career, to be a great example. It has evolved from where I was to where I am today. And sometimes we make changes in our life because of circumstances, but also because we have a shift in our mindset. We're not going to continually have the same mindset over the years because how we thought when we were 20 is not going to be the same how we think when we're 40. Because when you're 20, I know when I was 20, I was going out, partying, having a good time. Now, in my 30s, going to be 40 in a couple of years, I'm not going to necessarily be like, well, I need to go out to have fun. I can stay inside and have fun. Fun is going to be one of those things that you decide. But then wellness was something that was also an aspect when I was younger. And it's even more an aspect today. Because as you grow up, your body changes and evolves. So what might have worked for you back then might not be working for you right now. And I know sometimes people, they get this idea that, oh, it used to work. And then they're trying to do these old methods that they're not effective. So we do have to understand our current state of being in order to understand wellness. And what better time than today than to check out All About Wellness with Kathy Robinson and myself. So let's get into that interview right now. Welcome, Kathy Robinson, the coach in a session. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Michael. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for coming on. So today I have you as a certified wellness coach. You're the founder of Athena Wellness, and you're also the author of Athena Principles, the book for simple wellness practices for overworked professionals. You have done so many wonderful things for the world, but in your own words, can you please elaborate what you do and how you help? Yeah, absolutely. So as you mentioned, I'm the founder of uh, Athena Wellness. And this is a company that helps professionals as they ascend the corporate ladder, keeps them well, and also when the time is right and they decide to descend the corporate ladder, which is happening at all phases of people's careers now. It's not just when people turn 65. So when that time happens, we help them try to invite what's next for them because the days of sitting on a rocking chair are, are no longer. Um, and so people do all kinds of cool things when they decide to go. Uh, The name Athena actually comes from the Greek goddess Athena because she signified strength and wisdom. And those are the two qualities that we try to help our clients connect with in their own lives. And just a little about me, I'm a former executive. I left at the height of a corporate career to to follow my passion, which is wellness. And uh, as you mentioned, I authored a book, got a podcast, and it's just so much fun being able to help clients through media and through courses and through coaching. 
when we think of wellness, we think about not just about eating right, nutrition, we also start to look at the wellness of the mind, the quality of it. And sometimes we get into careers that we stay in because that's what we were allotted, the circumstances. So we might've picked a profession when we were getting out of high school, going into college, and we might've not have been in love with it, but we didn't know that we didn't love this career until we finally got into it. But now at that time, we might've had a kid, we could have family issues. So people have to stay in careers that they're not necessarily in love with. Do you think that plays a role in people wanting to retire earlier today than they did in the past? I think they have permission now to retire earlier than they did in the past. So, you know, it's a wonderful question. When I came out of school, I was, I I came from a blue collar family. I was saddled with college debt. And exactly to your point, I had to go to where money was being made. And I went to Wall Street and it wasn't for a glamorous stock you know, position. I was an auditor. I was an internal auditor, (laughs) making sure, you know, people were kind of doing the jobs that they were being paid to do. Was it a profession I loved? It wasn't passionate, but it was it paid the bills and it treated me well for 33 years. But with that, exactly to your point, there is a price that we pay. There's a, a handoff, if you will, that you don't even realize once you're on that treadmill. And then you as you mentioned, there are more responsibilities that come in. And then suddenly you're in this position and it feels like there's no way out. And yes, it does take a toll on health. In fact, I can think of three turning points in my wellness turning points in my life, and they were all related to wellness. The first was just not taking good care of myself, which I know a lot of your listeners can kind of relate to. The second one was more of that mental space of being completely burned out after 18 years on Wall Street and having to do something else. That was a wellness turning point. And then once those two, once your body, your mind and your body kind of are more in sync and aligned, then you can go deeper. And that third one had to do more with, it was more spiritual. It was more about purpose. It was more about what did I, now Now that I felt better, what is it that I really wanted to do? And these things don't happen overnight. They all take time, but it's an evolution and that's an optimized wellness evolution. You know, it's not just something that happens overnight. Yeah. And when we have someone, maybe they go into coaching early. So we say they start coaching as soon as they go into their career. So they could be 22, 23, around that age. And even though we might be able to mitigate some of that wellness damage that could happen from their career, from burnout, they are still going to have some type of hardships later on because wisdom is the act of understanding, but then having some predetermined knowledge too. So we can read a bunch of books and then we can have a good sense of knowledge on it, but it is not until we apply it into our own life. And then we can kind of say, well, that is what makes sense for me. They can look at their parents, they can look at friends, families, and look at their careers, look at their lives, and they can kind of make adjustments and they can say, well, they have this life, so I'm going after that life. And then we kind of go into the realm of they're going to do anything they can to get to that life. So they'll work a nine to five, but then that nine to five is not a nine to five. It's actually nine to 10. So they come home with work, They spend as much time as they can with the family, but eventually that burnout slowly begins to creep in where they just get to a point where they're totally done. And I know for me, when it gets to that point of burnout, it's so difficult to recover. What are some ways that you can help people mitigate burnout or to kind of show them the ways of burnout so they don't have to dive headfirst with that unknowingness of what burnout is? Yeah. And, you know, you said so many beautiful things there, you know, that first piece about this sense of, I think what you were trying to get at was this embodied wisdom. 
right? So it's one thing to have knowledge, but it's another thing when you take that knowledge and you try it and it's from experience that you learn what works for you. And I think that's one of the things that we don't get taught when we're younger of there is no one right path for everybody. You, you're carving that out as you go. You know, you're learning as you go and that's okay. And I think younger people today kind of have that ability to say, you know what, I, I don't want to go the path of my parents where I kind of followed that way of like, you work until you're a certain age and then that's it. So I love the fact that younger people feel that they have more options and there's more possibility. So I think that's wonderful. That said, that doesn't mean that they're not on the treadmill still, right? And burnout is really sneaky. Like I really didn't realize that I was burnt out. I mean, I knew I was tired and I knew I was kind of pushing my boundaries, but I really didn't know how burnt out I was until I was able to get away on a vacation and listen to what was going on inside, which was like, hey, you've got to do something different here. Because burnout can start feeling, it can start feeling like being disengaged or feeling frustrated. Like it's really subtle until it builds and builds and builds. And then suddenly it's just like, you know, you can go into collapse. So how do you work with that? I think it starts with, as we said, mind, body, and spirit. If you start with your body, if you're not taking good care of yourself, if you're not getting sleep, if you're not eating decently, I'm not even saying well, because we don't want to put too much pressure on ourselves. But if you're not eating decently, if you're not taking basic care, the other stuff isn't going to matter. Um, so I think the first thing is just doing what are the small things that you can do without putting too much pressure on yourself to take better care of your physical body. And then there's the mental component of at my busiest, I can remember taking five minutes in the morning as I would set my alarm uh, five minutes before I had to get up and I would put my hand over my heart, set the alarm for five minutes and say for the next five minutes, Kathy, there is nothing you need to do. Nobody needs you. You don't need to make a decision. This is just your time. And it sounds so simple, but when you get a taste of what it feels like to just be, you want more of that. And it naturally expands. I think that when we're, when you're really in that burnout phase, you think it's more, more, more. And what you start to realize is that when you actually do less, like just being in place for a short period of time, that does more for you than any of the pushing will do. So I think it's starting to experiment with some of those things. And if you can't do it in the morning, you can step outside at night and take a look up at the sky or, you know, something just for those few minutes by yourself and allow that to naturally expand. When you give yourself that access, it gives you the ability to listen to really what's going on for you. Because while burnout symptoms are the same, the root causes can be there it's it dependent on you and your life so for some it could be too much family elder care and child care and and you know this combination of things and for others it could just be their job for others it could be relationship so that quiet time gets you to listen a little bit of what's really going on and what could be one small step i can take to help alleviate this i love everything you just said because it's so true Many people, they just get caught up and they think they need more. They think they need less, but in reality, they need to pay attention to themselves. And one of the things that I do in my coaching, I'm sure similar to yours, is to be more present and be more mindful. I've learned this process in college where I started to pay attention, not so of when I graduate, this is what's going to happen. Well, I'm in college. Let me enjoy that. And it's not so much enjoying partying, going out, things like that. 
but enjoy reading this book, writing this thesis paper. Though it might not be the most elaborate thing, it was difficult. I'm not going to lie; it's challenging for me in college. I mean, I had to work a full time and a part time job just to push myself through college because my family didn't have any money for me to go to college. So it was a different experience for me. Where I funded my way through college, so I knew when I was going through it how important it was to me. When someone might be given college, where mom and dad paying for college for me, and it might not be that important. So if they don't get an A, or if they don't get a good grade, or heck, if they don't even graduate, it doesn't necessarily matter because they don't have any skin in the game. And what I notice is that when people don't have something on the line. They don't necessarily worry about failure. They don't worry about pushing themselves. They just allow circumstances to come into their life, and what that typically does is that creates a life that they necessarily might not enjoy having. So they get into a relationship that they might not love. They get into a career that they hate. They are not happy financially, or they are spending incorrectly, and all of these different things stem from they don't have. A certain value that they set for themselves. If we really take some time in our day, in our life, whenever to stop, breathe, and just pay attention to what you have, you will start to notice that there's a lot of things happening in your life. And so many times, people take things for granted. And it's not until typically until a trauma, tragically, people don't come to me. People don't come to me saying, "Hey, Michael, I'm a hundred percent." I'm or I'm ninety percent, and I feel really good. But I think I could be a little bit better, Mike. So I want you to help me out, find where you know my blind spots, and help me out. They come to me broken,、sure. and they come to me when they're at the brink of collapse, and I have to try to fix their life before everything topples over. It's difficult because sometimes we have to start fresh. We have to get rid of everything because it's just decayed.、It's、like if we look at dentures' work, sometimes you can save a tooth, sometimes you can't. And sometimes, if a person has been prolonging their self betterment and wellness, after a while, it's difficult to save what they had. And then we have to start to realize, okay, well, what do we really want? And then we start fresh. And sometimes, starting from that rock bottom can be very difficult for people because it's scary. It's uncertain. And a lot of people don't like change, so people will allow their current life to take over, even if they don't have the life that they want, their desired life, abundance, all that, because of change. And the brain understands how much energy is required for change, and it's going to do everything in its power not to change. Getting into that way of thinking, we have to be more mindful, we have to be more present, so we can figure out where we are and then where we truly want to be later in life. Yeah, and I love what you say about presence because I think this is something that we all learned、um, with the pandemic, right? Nobody, no matter what your plans were in 2019, I know that was the year that I retired. There was no way that I could have planned for what we all experienced these last couple of years, and that in itself was an amazing lesson in presence because who knows? All the old was swept away in a moment, almost overnight, and we had to be present because. There was nothing on the future horizon anymore. So I see that as something that was just a wonderful practice because it's not that life changed. Life is the same. Our illusion that we had some control over the future—that's what disintegrated. We never really did, right? That in itself is an amazing skill set because when you really are present and you know what's important to you, you find that you can respond with so much more ease in the moment. Because you're not worried about what's on the horizon, and that doesn't mean you don't take responsibility for your life. But there's just—it's more of an unfolding than making something happen. 
And I think that in itself is a skill set that um, that we're all, if we can learn that skill set, it does make a big difference in our day to day and also in our relationships. Because, you know, presence, as you mentioned, people can feel that when you're really looking in somebody's eyes and you're really listening and paying attention. There's a response. There's an energetic response that people give you. And I've found that that's something that's been very helpful, not only in the work that I do, but in personal relationships as well. Paying attention to people, you can really tell. It was interesting. My wife had her birthday a couple months ago. And what I noticed when we had company over, I wanted to do a little test with her friends. And the test was eye contact. So I would make eye contact, I wouldn't make eye contact and they would mimic it. So it was kind of like, oh, he's not really paying attention. And then, oh, he's paying attention. Let me pay attention. So people subconsciously know when to pay attention. And I know it can be difficult to pay attention, especially when things might not uh, maybe be pertinent to you. So like the person might not like me. So they're like, I don't want to hang around this person. And then they kind of just sort of waiting for the day to be over or the event to be over. But, you know, all the people who came over were, you know, close friends. So it was a good conversation. But just doing that little test with a close friend, giving them the eye contact, not giving them the eye contact, I saw how they moved and how they mimicked. And typically we mimic and mirror people. So like our energies right now, they're actually pretty much in sync where it's not like, oh, I'm super up here. And then you're like super down here, real chill. So it's kind of like finding that balance. And then one of the things I wanted to ask you is that we get into the conversation of balance. And I know you said it earlier, where we talk about how like you can have burnout for relationships or burnout for work, and then kind of creating that balance. And that balance is always going to be unique. Because for me, I enjoy working. And mm-hmm. yes, I have a family, but I would work before I spent more family time. But I always do spend family time when I have to. It's kind of like I know when I push the realm of me working too much and saying, okay, I need to go spend family time. And it's not that I'm tired or burned out of work. It's just that, oh, I understand that my family is yearning for my attention. Mm -hmm. And it could be in those subtle ways, similar to how when I had the company for the birthday party, the subtle ways of eye contact, paying attention. And we have to learn that it's a skill. Everyone can learn how to pay attention. It's just that so many people have learned how not to pay attention, to only pay attention to what their needs are and not necessarily pay attention to what other people's needs are. And this is emotional intelligence 101. And you know, you said something really important there that this balance is unique. I would also say that it's fluid. Mm. What was balanced for me 20 years ago is not balanced for me today. So that changes over time. And that goes back to that still point in knowing what you need. And it's not perfect. You know, people think, well, I'm going to figure out balance and that's going to be the way it's going to be. It's like, it's not a simple equation. It's what you need in that moment. There's a, a practice called mindful self-compassion. And one of the questions that you ask yourself is, what do I need in this moment? So it's this idea, this self-reliance of while I'm in relationship with all of the people in my life, I can always give myself what I need to be able to support and nourish myself in a way that others can as well. But what is it? Because if you can answer that question for yourself, then when somebody comes to you, such as your wife saying, hey, what do you need? You can actually give a good response of what that might be. And that adds to the balance. So there's this balance between what our needs are, what our desires are. And then to your point, this work, life, family, you know, trying to make all of that work as well as good self-care. Knowing what those are, more importantly, putting up or communicating boundaries 
becomes really important as well. Communication really is the key to all of wellness, right? Of Mm -hmm. not only knowing what you need for yourself, but also being able to say and articulate what that is and why it's important. Because if I think when our loved ones understand, I am filling up my tank so I can be my best for you, that's a great conversation to have rather than I need to go to the gym and you won't let me kind of a conversation that we can get into in frustration versus the, hey, you know, when I have this time and I can take this time, the solo time, even if it's 15 minutes for myself, this is the impact that it has for you and me. And it's really, it's really healthy. What do you think about that? That opens up the conversation to being able to keep that balance. And there's something similar in the regards to an emotional bank account where we have an emotional bank account. And for example, if I ask my wife for something and it might push her past her, I guess, comfort zone. So let's say she has to go to work. She has to take care of the kid. And I say, Hey, can you pick up my dry cleaning? That's another thing that she has to do. And though it's a simple task of pick, you know, pick up dry cleaning, it could be something that's pushing her over her comfort zone where she's late for work now, late to pick up the kid. And, and now she's overburdened. But every time I ask her for something, it's kind of like I'm making a withdrawal from that emotional bank account. And if I give her something, so for example, let's say she's home, she has a day off and the kids, you know, in her care, I can say, you know what, give me the kid, I'll take over. You can go rest, you can go get your nails done, go to spa, whatever you want. Then it's like, I'm taking on some of her role. And then now she's able to go fill herself up. So I'm adding to that emotional bank account. And so many times people are so quick to make withdrawals, but they're not there to really put in the deposits. And I find that when we can be present, when we can learn balance in our own life and understanding the, you know, being fluid. I love that saying being fluid because where you are at 20 is going to be different where you're at 30, 40, all the way up. And it can change at a snap of a finger. I know, I think one of my quickest mindset shifts was about like two years where it's like, I was doing this and I'm like, okay, this is what I believe. This is what I'm going for. And this is what makes me feel good. And then two years later, doing something totally different where two years before that, I would have never thought I was doing that. Understanding where I was looking at myself, self-reflection. I do a lot of meditation, did a lot of yoga for many years where I was always looking on the inside of myself. And people sometimes they fail to look at the relationship, to look at themselves, and then they get into this place called being stuck. So So they say, I'm stuck, Michael. And it's always interesting because I ask why they're stuck and they're like, I don't know. And so it's like, okay, well, let's unravel the onion of all your years of doubt, of not caring for yourself, of lack of wellness, all of those different things are having a compound effect right now. So now you're at a dead end where you might've been going the right way, but everything kind of pushed you off to a corner. And now you feel obligated to so many things that don't serve you. And sometimes we have to shed some of the responsibilities that we have. It's kind of like, you can't take everyone along with you for the journey. And sometimes we feel obligated, especially as modern society, where we seek peer acceptance, where we will take on an extra burden as long as we will feel accepted. And the other person is going to say, well, you know, like I'll do whatever it takes. But at that same time, we have to understand that what they're giving us, we need to reciprocate it at some point. If we don't, then we're just going to keep on again, taking, 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 taking. And then we're going to get to a point where there's nothing else to take. And then we're left alone. So now we're stuck 
we're alone and we're living in this world where we create it, but we want to get out. And I, and I think wellness is, is an important conversation in that aspect when you get to that stuck point. Yeah. Yeah. And you said two things, you know, the first thing was um, this idea of fluidity. Um, and the reason why that's important is that if our, if something like balance is static, that means we're not growing. So a lot of what you're talking about and what we're seeing is the growth as we grow our needs, our balance, our emotional bank account, everything changes, right? So we're always kind of in this state and it's just growth that's healthy, right? It's a healthy thing. But I love the idea you mentioned like this emotional bank account and we can do the same thing for ourselves for a wellness bank account. Where am I taking out deposits? I'll tell you when I was in my 20s and 30s, there were more withdrawals than deposits. I mean, I was it was work hard, play hard and um, not very proud of a lot of that behavior. It was fun for the time. But, you know, what that does to your physical well-being is uh, is not healthy to sustain over time. And so adjustments are made. Right. But now it's what is it? I have an exercise in the book where I ask readers to put a line down the middle and kind of number it you know, both sides of this of these columns. And one is what adds to my energy. So what gives me energy and what detracts from it? And just that simple list, a very easy exercise for this wellness bank account, if you will, is what's one thing that lights me up that I can do this week? And what's one thing that drains my energy that I can minimize? That simple equation and working with that gets us to balance over time because we're taking away the things or we're minimizing or finding solutions for the things that are really draining us. Sometimes it's people, sometimes it's boundaries, sometimes it's work, but we start to be able to at least name it and then start to work with it. And then on the flip side, it's like, well, what are some of those things that really light me up and make me feel good? If I can have a little set, people think you got to change your life and quit your job and go, you know, buy a van and go travel. It's like, you can do these things while raising a child, while being married, while having any kind of job that you have. But these little steps go a long way of you getting to know you more, being able to communicate those needs and being able to take good care in bringing yourself and keeping yourself sustained in balance over the long term, but being flexible enough to, to move with it as you grow. And it kind of goes into the idea of love where it's like, do you love yourself? And I remember, I will never forget this when I was in a yoga class one day, I think I was doing vinyasa. The vinyasa teacher asked us to think of, I think five people that we love. So I was like, okay, my mom, my grandma, grandmas, and then I named five people. And after, you know, about a minute, she asked, are you on that list? Mm -hmm. And I was like, I'm not on that list. And I do that with my clients actually, too. I, I ask, I was like, well, write down a list of people you love. And it depends on what we're coaching for, but if they are coaching for betterment, you know, growth, things like that, we will look at the love aspect. And so I asked, well, write down 10 people that you love. And I see if they write themselves down. Mm -hmm. So if they do write themselves down, then we are on the right track, right? So they understand that they have to fill up their cup in order to be able to give in that regard. But the thing about love is that many people are not trained to love themselves. They are trained to love other people. And that's why we have this maybe Americanized way of thinking that a marriage is going to make you happy. My partner is going to make me happy. It's not, I'm making me happy. So we love ourselves and then we can spread that love and whoever's around us 
can also embellish our love and our happiness rather than, okay, this is the source of my love. This is the source of my happiness. And I remember I was in the dog park, short of a side story, but I was in the dog park with my dog. And this is in Connecticut at the time. And it was a wonderful day. It was a summer day, probably in July. And there was a owner of a dog who he was training his dog to be a service dog. He was, and the dog was a golden lad that was good to help blind people. So him and I were always get together. We'll always let our dogs play. When I found out that he was having this dog and he was only going to have it for about two years or three years before he had to give it up. If the dog passed the test, I asked him, I said, aren't you going to be like sad and like, you're not going to want to give the dog up. And he, and he was like, yeah, in the beginning, because this was his second or third dog that he did that with. And he said in the beginning, it was difficult, but me doing this, it taught me how to love more quickly. And I thought about that. I was like, wow, that's powerful Mm -hmm. because he knows he only has two years with this dog or three years at most. And if the dog doesn't pass, then he has the opportunity to adopt the dog he's on his third dog and his first two pass. So, and the dog that he had there, I'm sure passed too, was a wonderful dog. And so we learned the idea of, well, we don't have the time. We can't say, well, what we're going to do in five years, in 10 years, we have to love today. Before you know it, time's going to be out. And then that's kind of like where regrets come in. And that's where, you know, we really start to look at our life saying, you know, like, Am I really following my purpose? And it's kind of, you know, to what you said before, it's like people do something and it might not be in line with their purpose, passion, or their gift. And then that's where they feel lost. And that's where they feel like they want to make a change. It's just that they don't know what direction they need to go. And so when you begin to love yourself, you can really look at, okay, what do I need? Where do I need to be? And then that's the starting point for your growth and for your whole entire life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a beautiful story with the with the dog, Michael. Thank you for for sharing that. Two things came to mind. Um, one was I was in a class a number of years ago, this mindful self compassion class. And one of the exercises that they did really brought tears to my eyes because we were asked to think about something that was a difficult situation that we were in. And at the time, uh, my mom was still alive. We were doing some elder care with her, and it was just it was just a lot, but career and all of these things happening. And we got to do a meditation that they kind of walked us through. And one of the things was to recognize just what we're pouring into these situations. So to recognize yourself of like, you know, you to hear yourself saying, you're doing a good job. You know, this much, this must really be hard for you. What you would expect a good friend to say to you, saying that just to yourself, we were all sitting in a circle quiet, but just hearing those words in my voice, in my head we never say things like that to ourselves. Like, wow, that must be really hard for you. Like you're really, you're giving it your all. Like you're really doing a good job. So something that simple can really go a long way to fostering this self-love because for a lot of people, that's a really big step. It's really hard to jump to like not knowing what that is to being like, oh, I love myself. Like that's, that's a long journey in itself. And what's interesting, there are five principles in the Athena principles and the very first one is self-compassion because the reason why I made it number one is because it's the one that I came to last. You know, I was type A, pushing myself, getting things done. Self-love was like, it was a nice to have. And it's not that I loathe myself. I didn't, but it wasn't a priority to say, you know what, I really need to make room to do this. And so I put it number one on the list because 
all it really means is giving yourself the support to be more gentle with yourself and more allowing for the human things that we all do. Like none of us are perfect. So how might we be able to accept that and allow that and celebrate what it is that we do and be able to to remind ourselves that every once in a while, it's okay to say, you know what, that must be really hard. And you're doing a great job. Like give that to yourself. That in itself is an amazing gift. And when you're in a dark place in your life, no one is going to truly understand how you feel. They might have some experience along with the lines, but just because they have that experience doesn't mean that they are going to feel exactly how you feel because they can hit different to you. And I remember when I was down and out and I was, I didn't want to go to work. I was a teacher at the time. And I just went to the library looking for the answers. And I was reading book after book after book, not going to work. I'm just literally trying to find the answers in a book. So I went to the personal development area in the library. It was in the basement. And I just spent eight, nine hours there every day, Monday through Friday, until I finally found my answer. And it was through a book. That book was the 10 things to do when your life falls apart. For many of the things that you talk about in your book are going to be present. But even if I recommend that book to someone when they're down and out, they don't have all the books that I read prior to that one book that finally was the tipping point for me. And I love to have people on who are authors who have books, and then they're able to kind of talk about their books. So you know, after this, I want you to kind of say your five principles so people can understand before they get your book that I'm going to be looking at these five things and really diving into change those five things. And I read many books about how to be happy, how to find your purpose, all these different things. And it wasn't until I finally got to this book, which it could have been, I read that book first and that book never changed my life. And then it could have been the final book, you know, if your book was out at that time and I finally read The Athena Principles, that book could have changed my life. So the books that we read have a compound effect where if you read Kathy's book, you're going to be able to get to a certain level. And then if you read another person's book, you get to a higher level and then you can finally find your answers. And I call that finding nuggets of gold in the reading because you find a little bit of gold. And if you are familiar with gold in the process, it's a very arduous process where you have to shift and you find a little bit of gold and then they have to melt it down and then they finally get enough and then they have a nugget of gold. So Mm -hmm. it's a process and the healing process can take some time. And then finding the answers can take some time. Working with a coach helps take away some of that time and alleviate some of that searching process because typically coaches have read hundreds of books already. So we have so much knowledge that we can apply different methods and then we can see what's going to work best for you. So if I'm working with someone and I see that what I'm doing has some type of effect, but we're we're maybe operating 60% efficiency, I might make some modifications and then get closer to 80, 90%. So what I was doing with them is effective, but it's not as effective as I would like it to be. So, you know, me knowing all these methods, all these different principles from my studies and from wisdom, I'm able to help people get out of that hump where I was, that deep depression. And it's difficult. It's a process. And I'm not saying it's easy because it wasn't easy for me, but I did it by myself. And I always encourage people, you don't have to go by yourself. Always find yourself a coach to go along with you on that journey to getting to your better self. So I know you wanted to say some things, but then I still want you to talk about your five principles, kind of like in succinct order. Sure, sure. 
Just so much to reflect with what you said. I love this image of the gold mining, right? Because somebody can go up to Alaska with a pan, but when you have a coach to say, hey, there's there's a vein of gold here, maybe start here, you're still doing the sifting, you're still doing the work, but you're doing with some capable guidance to help make that as efficient as possible. So I think that was just a wonderful analogy. Um, but also too, with the books, as you said, you know, sometimes it's the perspective that you're bringing to any book or any music or anything that's that's bringing insight, right? It's not just books. It could be whatever is coming your way. It could be a walk in nature. And it's just what is resonating with you at the time. Because you know, a book you read 10 years ago may not have any resonance with you now because you've absorbed it and it's part of you now. So, uh, so I just thought that that was a uh, very wise uh, insight there. So very quickly, the five principles for the Athena principles. The first one, as I mentioned, is self-compassion. And the way I think about that is in any kind of behavioral change, you always assess where you are today to where you'd like to be. When you can navigate that terrain between here and there, that's do, and you can do it gently and kindly. To me, that's doing so with self-compassion. So that's the general idea for self-compassion. The second principle is intention. So when we embark on any change, it's not just an act of will. It's the it's trying to connect with the emotional why. Why is it that you want to do this change? What's behind it? That's what gets you out of bed at five o'clock to go to CrossFit. Like for me in the morning, it's not because I want to do that workout because I know how I'll feel on the back end of that. And I know how I'll feel the rest of the day. So if we can connect to the why, that's really the, the motivation. The third principle is consistency. For me, this is the secret sauce because you can do really small things each day, but if you do it consistently over time, you are going to accomplish more than you ever could if you take it in big chunks and you're inconsistent. So consistency to me is demonstrating the commitment that you've made to yourself to try to better wherever it is that you are in life. The fourth one is growth mindset. And I have a little equation in the book where I define that as positive attitude plus constructive behavior gets you to growth mindset. And this is the place where as challenges come and they will always come, you can start to see them as opportunities because you've been there before. You've seen it. You know you can work with it. You know you can overcome it. And you know that these challenges are here to make you stronger and to make you wiser. Uh, and then the fifth one is accountability. That's basically just checking in with yourself once a week. What I've added to that is celebrating the wins for the things that went well during the week, as well as mindfully adjusting. If something doesn't happen, not beating ourselves up, but looking into why that was the case and making adjustments with self-compassion, which brings us then back to the first one, which is self-compassion. And what's interesting about these principles is that I wrote the book because I'm feeling fitter in my 50s than I did ever in my life. And I wanted to be able to codify some of these things that I that have worked for me through stories. Um, but I found that when I created my business a couple of years ago, these principles work for business as well. So it's not only wellness, but it's the same kind of mindset when you're whatever it is that you're trying to start. It's just a nice reminder as you're going through your process that there is a structure, that there is um, some payoff for the hard work that you put in. Uh, I heard recently, uh, I think it was in a podcast, someone said, the gym is the fairest place you'll ever be because you only get out what you put in. 
Mm-hmm. And that's a lot of what these principles are. If you put it in, if you put the work in, you will definitely get the payback. And it's it's this beautiful cycle. Oh, I love everything you said. The Athena Principles is most likely going to be a book I add to my wish list because I'm always looking for mindset. I'm always looking for growth. Whenever someone recommends me a book, I always write it down. And I, I'm probably like at 200, 300 books right now. So it's kind of like making that time to read those books is something that I want more in my life. It's just that at this point with family and everything, I, I'm lucky if I get a book a month. It's going to take me how many years to finish my 200 book list, but I still ask people, tell me your books, tell me your favorite book, the book that changed your life. It might be a book I already read. And I said, yes, that's a wonderful book. And we can have a conversation on it. And then we can really dive deep and why that book changed your life. And then we can figure out what step were they lacking, right? Because we have five steps and they might realize step one, they're lacking you know, self-compassion. And, and that could have been the jumpstart for changing your whole entire life. And I think when we look at wellness is so much more than just a simple book, than a simple mindset. It's a lifestyle where we really have to look at where we are, where we want to be. And you don't have to struggle through life. If you're having a hard time, if you're not in the place you want to be, if you want to make some adjustments, there are going to be answers. And I think one of the best ways to start, you can listen to podcasts, you can read books, Athena Principles is going to be a wonderful book. And then of course, find coaches, mentors, guides that are going to help you along the way. Because the journey to self-betterment, personal development doesn't have to be done alone. And I know sometimes we think we can do it alone. And I'm not saying you can't. It just takes a little bit longer because there's going to be quite a bit of trial and error. And for me, I had a lot of trial and error. There's many things that I did. I wasted, I think, a year and a half, two years total of my whole personal development journey. But if I had a mentor who told me saying, hey, you need to do this. And I did have that mentor that told me that I needed to do this. I'm doing everything opposite of what I should be doing, even though subconsciously I kind of knew what I was supposed to be doing. I was still doing the wrong thing because what society kind of pushes our mind to, it makes it difficult for us to really find our truth and to find our answer because there's just so much data. There's just so much noise happening in our current world and our current society where, I mean, if you pick up our smartphone, we probably have 50 new notifications that we have to take care of. So we're so entwined with everything and it's difficult to really pay attention to what we should be doing because we are already busy doing all these things that we shouldn't be doing. Yeah. And I would just offer to you, Michael, that the one and a half years that feels like wasted time, you would never be doing what you're doing today if it wasn't for that, for those one and a half years, because you created a whole coaching approach out of that frustration. So it sounds like it was time well spent, even though it was some frustrating times because you're able to help others as a result. Mm-hmm. Of course. And for me, I don't regret things in life. It's just that when I look back, I could say, oh, I could have been more efficient there. So it's kind of like a wake up call for my future self, where it's kind of like the moment I get stuck again, don't do what I did, do what worked for me the best. And that was getting a coach. And I mean, to this day, I have coaches where I have a business coach, I have a mindset coach. Those coaches, help me see my blind spots because we all have them. And it's difficult to admit that we have them, especially if you're a coach to say that we have blind spots. And when another coach can kind of come in and they can make it very aware to us saying, Hey, I think that you're avoiding this. So you should be doing this. And we can really look deep into ourselves and we can find the truth. And I think so many people are afraid of the truth. So they just kind of tiptoe around it and 
maybe they stumble upon it by necessity or, uh, you know, a trauma finally pushes them over into it and you're like, well, now I have to swim. So it's kind of like the deep end of the pool where Mm -hmm. they get thrown in. They're finally having to, you know, handle the situation. But if I can from you, Kathy, tell people where they can find you. And then some last words before we end the podcast. Sure. Yep. I'm easily found. AthenaWellness.com. Folks want to go. Listeners want to go to the website. There's actually a free download of the Athena Principles of a of an action plan you can create. And so that's right on the front page. They can find me there. I'm also launching uh, my first course in September. And so you can find some information on that as well. For some some parting words, you know, we've talked a lot about this sense of creating a path. And so I have a favorite quote. There's a, a poet named Antonio Machado, and he has said, traveler, there is no path. The path is made by walking. By walking, you make the path. And that's the way it is with our life journey. That's the way it is with our wellness journey. It's through experience. And so I would just invite your listeners to give themselves a little bit of a break to just be focused on whatever that next step might be and to just keep a mindset of curiosity and discovery and exploration. I think that makes for, as you mentioned before, presence and being able to enjoy exactly where we are now. And also to remember that the whole point in being well and taking good care of ourselves is so that we can do the things that we love to do with the people we love. And so to keep that in mind as well, that there isn't an end goal of being the most well. It's about being able to feel good so we can enjoy life. And that's what I wish for you. That's what I wish for your listeners. Perfect. Wonderfully said. And I love everything that we spoke about. It was a wonderful conversation. I encourage everyone to check out Kathy on her website. You can download the free copy of the Athena Principles and the work guide that she has already instructed us to do so. It will be in the description box below for you to easily find. I also encourage you to get a hard copy of her book so you can have it on the bookshelf. Or if someone comes over and they're having a hard time, you can always pass it to them. I have so many books that I lend out that I never see again. So so I encourage you to get a few copies and then to pass those out, especially if this book changes your life. Because when we're trying to figure out what is going to work for us, when we get a book that has so much wisdom, and I know Kathy has an abundance of wisdom, we are just giving ourselves a step ahead of the game where we are equipping ourselves with this knowledge as wisdom that we wouldn't have got otherwise if we didn't read this book so do yourself a favor right mindset is more so okay i'm going to put myself in a place of victory rather than i'm going to struggle through this and finally make it to the end because in life there's going to be struggle but we have to understand the difference between unnecessary struggle and then certain struggles so some struggles are going to be needed but then some struggles are going to be unnecessary and i think if we can really find a book that can change our life we're going to alleviate some of that unnecessary struggle so i want to thank you kathy robinson for coming on coaching in session a great conversation and i love the work that you're doing Great. And thank you. Thank you for doing what you do. All right, everyone. I'd like to thank my guest, Kathy Robinson, for coming on Coaching in Session. The conversation that we had was a huge delight, and I encourage everyone to check out the work she does because it is so challenging to take time out of your day to give yourself the necessary care that you need. We have 24 hours in a day, the same as everyone else. But sometimes it can feel like we're overburdened, overworked, and burnout is right around the corner. Today, we're living in an uncertain world where so much stress and there's so much worry and fear 
going on where it can be difficult to take some time to look at ourselves and really reflect on who we are, where we want to be, what needs to be done. And not necessarily what needs to be done, for example, oh, I have to get this project done. What needs to be done for you? What do you need in order to be recovered, to feel 100%? Oftentimes we forget that in order for us to move, we have to have some type of desire and some type of will and the ability to do so. So if we're not taking care of ourselves, if we're pushing ourselves toward that figurative ledge, eventually we're going to find ourselves hanging and dangling and it's going to be difficult to pull ourselves up. But we have the opportunity to realize that we're walking toward this destruction, this self-destruction, and we can do things today that can help us be more well. And I know that's something that Kathy does with her clients, helping them understand wellness on so many different levels. Because what I do is I focus on mindset, and wellness is a part of it. But here at Raven Concepts, we really look at the state of your mind, the quality of your mind, And when I can have other coaches come in and talk about different areas that you need help with, yes, you might have one or two coaches at the end of it, but at the end of it, you're going to be in a better place. And if I can get your life to be in a better place, then I'm already succeeding in my mission in life because I want you to be better. I want you to grow. I want you to understand that you're abundant and that what you do has value and that you have worth. Sometimes you just have to pay attention. And it's difficult when you have all the burdens of the world on your shoulders. So take some time today to really figure out what you need to alleviate some of that stress, to kind of shed that burden, shed that weight, and then finally set yourself free and to finally unlock those shackles that have been around your ankles, around your feet for quite some time right now and learn freedom and learn wellness. My name is Michael Reardon. I'm a mindset coach. If you have any questions, you can email me coachingacession.gmail.com and I will see everyone on the next episode of Coaching A Session. Until then, everyone take care.